Fihan, aka Rocketfoot, is a South African former professional rugby player turned kicking obsessed coach and aspiring pro specialist. While we laugh at Tiger Kings on Netflix in the States, South Africans like V literally live it, kicking with real live lions. Through V's story, you'll see that kicking isn't just about kicking. It's ultimately about becoming a better version of yourself. Whether your thing is kicking or yes, Tiger Kings, we all could use a little bit more of that right now. Enjoy. All right, so I have Vihan, a.k.a. Rocketfoot, the underground kicking cult figure you might have seen putting up some uprights in his backyard farm in South Africa. And this guy hits some crazy good kicks. So he's going to talk a little bit about his story with us today. So, V, how did you first get started into kicking? Um, hey, uh, Brennan, uh, nice to be on the show. Um, you know, just say hi to all your listeners. Um, I, you know, I first started kicking when I was – uh, a little kid uh, in South Africa, it's it's partly tradition to to get a rugby ball for your for your first birthday present, you know, especially right. if you have a, a very old school traditional father. So you know, and and kids tend to kick the ball. That's the first thing they do, um, you know. So it just started from that, and and it just for some people it stops, um, but for me it never it never really stopped. It just it kept kept developing and developing, and then you know I found American football to be. Uh, well, kicking specifically in American football to be the ultimate kicking sport. I, I would mm -hmm. put it like that. Right. And how did you, so I guess in South Africa, would you say that rugby is the number one sport? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there, there is almost no number two sport. It's rugby and then some cricket and then maybe some athletics <laughs> at some point. Gotcha. But, uh, but yeah, rugby, you know, rugby is a, it's a way of life here. It's, uh, it's, it's truly, it, it really makes up part of our culture. Gotcha. So did Matt Damon get it right in Invincible or did every South African see that and just like rolled their eyes saying Americans ruined one of our greatest stories? <laughs> well, um, I thought he did a pretty good job, especially at the, at the accent. I, I think it's a pretty difficult accent to, to pull off. Um, you know, the story is, it's a magical story, obviously. Um, you know, so yeah, all around a pretty good job, I would say. <laughs> now, kind of talk to us about the kicking rules in rugby versus football. Or, you know, it's so like in the past, I've had a couple conversations with the guys from Pro Kick Australia. Obviously, they have Australian rules football, which is a little bit different from rugby and American football. But yeah. they talk a little bit about the differences between you know, we, everybody from the outside says kicking is kicking, foot's on the ball, but the contexts are very different. So could you talk about like two or three of the biggest differences that you see between learning how to kick an American football versus uh, a rugby ball? Well, I'm, I'm of the train of thought that, um, you know, to some degree, kicking in rugby, especially place kicking is, is, is a lot less challenging simply because you're, you're kicking off a tee and, and the ball is a lot more forgiving. That's so, in rugby, right? That, that that's in rugby yeah so okay. and and you know you don't have uh, a line you know charging down at you, you you're not under tons of pressure you, you've got some time um in terms of your approach you you can kind of do whatever you want right so so that that makes it a lot easier um in terms of just purely kicking um in terms of some of the angles that that rugby players are kicking from that could make it a little more challenging in just in terms of of you know, measuring out your angle and, and trying to get that right. Um, 
but yeah, I think uh, if you if it comes down to brass tacks, I guess kicking is is kicking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so but I know rugby players. You know, especially some of the guys that I've coached that I've kicked with me, they they really do struggle transferring uh, the skill of kicking a rugby ball to to kicking footballs. It's it's almost as if it's a as if it's a completely different thing. Right. And so, what were some of the what's the biggest challenge that you see with those guys trying to transition from rugby to kicking a U.S. football? Yeah, I mean, just from my own personal experience, it, it's it's so profound because simply moving the ball from a tee to the ground is it's a world of difference it's it's mm-hmm. completely different your body just doesn't agree with it your your mind can't figure out how how am i supposed to how how do i kick this thing into the air you know so mm-hmm. there's a there's a bunch of logical or logical but illogical conclusions that your brain makes which is i need to kick the ball really low on the ball so that i can get it up high into the air um, you know, so you tend to start making those fundamental mistakes and, um, you know, so it, it really just, and also being as restricted as, as you are, um, you can only take these amount of steps and you have this amount of time to kick. It makes it, it makes it very challenging because that's not, that's something a rugby kicker has never thought about in his entire life. Um, right. So in, in rugby, rugby, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, so in rugby, you obviously have continuous play, kind of like soccer. Do you find what what's the biggest maybe mental difference between kicking in American football versus rugby that you found? Well, I think in in, in rugby, you kind of uh, assess the situation and play what's in front of you. So mm-hmm. some of those kicks are executed in the moment, whereas when you're playing football, you, you you're going onto the field with the specific task of kicking. So you kind of know what you're going to be doing. You know, you're right. already prepared for that situation. Whereas with rugby, you, you kind of, you, you kind of feel the pressure on the field. You feel where you are and you just know, you just kind of know when to execute a kick. You just kind of know when you need space, you can see your teammates, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're getting tired, you know, because of this continuous play. Um, so a, a, a good, a good educated kick could, could, uh, relieve some of that pressure, you know, put the opposition under pressure and win you some territory, you know. Um, there's different types of kick, kicks that you use in different situations, um, you know. So it, it really comes down to what you're feeling in the moment. And, and that's really what, what makes a, a good player or a better player is somebody that can assess that situation and, and execute those, those needed kicks at the right time. So in rugby, it's almost as if you shape your shots kick to kick absolutely yeah so so i mean we spoke on a previous podcast and i i mentioned how it's it's way more free you know you're not as restrictive so a lot of these kicks you got to put you got to put them low you know over the opposition so that when the ball bounces it it gains even more field um you know, sometimes you got to put these kicks really high so that your that your teammates can you know rush up on the defense as they take the ball and put them under pressure and maybe force a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's an array of different types of kicks that you do, um, and that that all kind of comes from feel. You see what you need to do, and your body just kind of does it. Um, right. It's it's really hard to coach this entire array of of, of kicks. Um, if you break it down, it's definitely possible, but. You know, a lot of these guys are just simply playing by feel and they're just doing these things um, in the moment. Right. And so how did you, what, what's been your experience jumping from 
rugby to American football. So for example, you have linked up with various coaches who've helped you out along the way in the U S um, could you talk a little bit about what it was like for you to come train in the U S with a couple of these coaches? What did you learn from them? And then what, what has your pro experience or, or tryout experience been like? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been very fortunate to, to have, you know, the, the experiences that I've, that I've had in, in, in the industry, you know, especially coming from South Africa as a ex rugby player with no experience whatsoever. Um, and, you know, working with some of these coaches has been a revelation for me. It's a, it's been an eye opening experience, you know, as I come from that background of just kind of doing things and just freely kicking um, where in American football, especially with, with, with kicking, you know, this, this is a real precision sport. Um, and, and, there's a lot of different opinions, but with some of the coaches that I've worked with, especially Mike Hollis and, and Proform Kicking, mm-hmm. there's a very specific way that that it's it, there's no gray areas. It's it's very black and white. Um, and as you develop in in the form itself, and, and you start understanding it, you you really start to see the light. You 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 start understanding not just how to kick, but you kind of start understanding how energy works and how 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 these things flow from one thing to another and, and that's been that's been the the i think the thing that the, the thing that i'm appreciated the most out of this entire experience is is learning that gotcha and so what do you find in terms of technique that a lot of kickers are getting wrong or could do better gosh uh, that's a that's a hard question <laughs> Um, you know, uh, simply put, I think, I think, uh, a lot of kids, as I mentioned before with, with, you know, rugby players transferring to kicking footballs, they're, they're trusting their, their brain and how, how the mind is processing how to do this, um, where they, where there is a movement that is so much more accurate and so much more powerful, which kind of goes in some ways against what the mind tells you to do. So, so I'll give you an example with, with pro form kicking, we're really trying to be um, separated from the ball, almost detached from the ball where the mind really wants to kick the ball. So you're, you're kind of sucked in or drawn into the ball. Mm -hmm. So it's, there's a lot of these things that, that kids don't understand. So they're just focused on the ball and, and by focusing on the ball, you're sacrificing and taking, away from so many other things that you should be doing. So I guess summing, summing it up or summarizing it is, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be killed for this, but, but forget about the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is, is the, is the best advice that I could give anyone. And I know that needs context. Uh, we'll get into that. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, but that's, but it is true. You do do, it's almost like golf. You need a certain level of, detachment from what the ball is about to do so you can focus on the process that's going to get the result that you want now absolutely let's let's kind of break down that process then and i think you know every kicker punter or snapper if they've trained long enough and they treat it as a craft they know that they have a certain lead domino that if they can knock that thing down if they can do that one thing right on every rep, it's going to make everything else easier and probably work. So for you, what is your lead domino that if you did it right, usually so you're, you're talking about straight. Okay. So you're talking about like a, like a trigger, right? Yes. So it's a, yeah. Trigger or like a technique thing that you focus on that, you know, if you get it right, it's going to make everything probably go well. 
Okay, so so I guess to explain this, um, I always use the analogy of uh, of a musician, uh, specifically a drummer. Uh, when a drummer plays the drums in a song during a live performance, um, they don't technically they don't really think about what they're doing. They're not really hitting the drum, thinking I need to hit this drum and then this cymbal and then play this note and and so on and so forth. When they learned the song, they they learned it in segments. Then they put those segments together and and then they just when they perform the song that it's all played by feel your body just remembers how, how to do it um so in terms of a trigger for me i try not to think about any specific part of the kick because okay if i if i focus on the ball then i'm drawn away from my my plant the focus that my plant position needs if i'm focused on the plant i'm drawn away from the ball if i focus on my swing then i'm drawn away from my approach so it's kind of uh and mike hollis also sort of summarizes it like this it's kind of like a carelessness feeling mm -hmm. um which is really difficult to 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 accomplish because how do you not think about anything but still execute the kick it, it's really hard so i understand the question you're, you're looking for the trigger this is going to sound crazy so when I'm standing at the start of my approach, how I sort of induce this, I guess, call it like a hypnotic or zombie-like trance state that, right. that, that you kind of get into. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, um, like your pre-kick routine. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, so what I try and do is I, I look at the ball with my eyes, but the picture I'm seeing in my mind is where my plant foot is going. So it's, it's, it almost creates this disconnect in, in my brain. And that, that helps me kind of just flow through the moment without really, without really specifically focused on anything specifically drawing me away from other things, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's now, do you, and it's hard, it's a balance, right? Like you have to, uh, there's a good saying in golf, here you know train it then trust it sure, how do absolutely. how do you at some point you have to break down your technique you know like in the yeah. moment you're you're in that flow state you're feeling it but how do you balance the need to get technical with the reality that at some point you just have to trust it and put away the measuring tape yeah that's that's also difficult because when do you when do you know your form is perfect when do you know your form is good enough that's I, that's i think one thing that the kicking industry lacks is that that there's so many opinions on how to kick whereas you know let's take golf for example there's sort of a universal uh guideline or law as to how to swing a golf club uh if you look at all the golfers they, they kind of all do it the same you get your exceptions but you know across the board everybody kind of looks the same when they when they're kicking so so I think that's one of the biggest problems we face is that this coach says this and this coach says this, this kicker does this. And, you know, so how do you make up your mind as to how, what you're supposed to be doing? I guess you could go with, well, this works and this is the result and this is what it feels like. And, and you can go with that. Um, so what was the question again? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's a great point. The question was, how do you balance needing to oh, do yeah. the technical side? <laughs> and with the fact that you have to trust your technique at some point yeah absolutely okay so so i you know i i'm always very technical about things i i'm always i feel like i'm we're always improving um we're, we're there's there's this unattainable ceiling that that i'm trying to get to um for what purpose i am not really sure i don't know what my future holds but uh, i really enjoy 
studying these things or you know breaking it down and, and looking at it from a different perspective um so i i i break my training sessions into different segments so i would have a segment where i'm really focused on one specific thing like the specific thing i'm trying to achieve so let's say for example um i've been having issues with my swing line i've been in in my opinion i don't want to i don't want to be swinging to the left so i'm really working on not swinging to the left so i'd do that i you know i'd repeat that process i'd maybe do a couple of one steps and really focus on that up until a point in in the session where i feel like okay I'm in this Goldilocks zone where my timing is right, my body's working, everything's firing the way it's supposed to. And at that point, I kind of let go of all that technical stuff. And I just, I just try and be mindless and, and, and flow and, and kick. You know, so it's really a combination between those, those two things. Um, but I don't think you can ever, you can ever put the, the textbook behind you. I, I think you're always going to be a technician with your form. I think you're always going to be working on different things. Um, I, I listened to a podcast the other day that you did with David Akers and, and he was saying that, I, I, th I think he said something to the extent of uh, being a professional, you, you need to become a technician with your kicking because you're not always gonna have the feel for it. So on yeah. those particular days, you need to know what, what's going wrong and how to fix it. So yeah, yeah it's, you'd, I mean, you'd love to be a robot and just get to the field and be able to kick like this every single day. But unfortunately, you know, for, for the most of us, that just doesn't happen that way. So you're always going to have to refer back to, to the technical side of things to, to find that flow again. Right. And I think you're, you are correct in that feelings can be fleeting. Like we've all had those days when we wake up and the sun's shining and it's perfect out. There's no breeze and everything feels just right. And it's almost like you couldn't miss even if you tried. And then there's other days when you wake up and you don't, you know, your legs feel heavy. Maybe you have a little injury, but you still have to perform for your coach. And yeah. that's, and I find that the, the pros, the guys that do it at a high level, they have found this really good balance of yeah. never falling too much to one side or the other you know absolutely like, yeah there's a my buddy uh is a uh a horse rancher he, he his family has a horse ranch and he always would say you know don't don't almost fall off one side of the horse rights yourself only to fall off the other side and so we've kind oh, of yeah. like uh, I, I find anyway younger specialists tend to oscillate between either being like feel it all the time or like being so technical they can never relax and the problem with the feeling it or if, you know if you're just a if you're just trying to be in that flow set all the time if something goes wrong you're not going to have the schematics to know how to get back on course but on the flip side yeah. the kids that get too technical can never get out of their own way and just relax and swing free do you find that that is true in your case when you've worked with younger guys yeah, absolutely. Um, I think once you once you start delving into into the technical side of things, they tend to overthink things. Mm -hmm. um, so then you tell them not to overthink things, and they can't really make sense of that because you've given them all this detail to digest. Um, but you're right; they they kind of oscillate. That's a that's a perfect word to describe it. Um, and and so does your form. Your form also oscillates between you doing it perfectly and and not. Um, and the trick is to figure out what, what it is that works for you to, to have sort of control over that situation, you know, to, to, how, how are you Tiger Woods? How are you in that zone all the time? Well, bar some of his 
period of time uh, as, a, right. as a pro golfer. But but for the most part, how how is he in the zone for five days at a time and you know playing 18 holes a day? Like how how does he do that? Because I've also thought about this. If I go to the driving range and I, I take my driver, I'm a pretty strong guy. I'm pretty tall. I can also drive the ball 350, 400 yards, but I can't do it every single time. Like, okay. how, what, does he, what does he have that, that, that is so easily repeatable? And I think what it is, is, is the, like you mentioned, the balance between form and flow and the, the elimination of, of variables. Um, so once you, once you understand your form so well and your form makes sense, I think that's the other thing. The form needs to make sense and everything is interconnected. So we'll get into that. But, but once you understand that and can flow with it, you're, you're, you're technically, you're eliminating variables up until a point where there's one or two variables left and that's what you're aiming for. So in my case, my swing is muscle memory i don't have to think about my swing i just swing it just mm -hmm. does it um my approach for the most part my tempo and, and all that that sort of thing that all those details that that has become just the way that i move every single time bar you know one or two mistakes here and there so in my case the variable is my plant foot you know for example so that's the thing i'm really aiming for where i'm when i'm kicking i'm aiming for that one variable that 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 is not always consistent for me Right. And do you find that, you know, like it's, do you, so you look at it through the lens of subtraction versus addition. So uh, what I mean by that is when you're sometimes, if you're coaching or working on something, we think of change or progress in terms of, I got to add this into my routine. I need to add this. I need to start doing this. We keep piling on things. You're kind of inverting it and saying, it's not about adding things, but rather taking away the useless things. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you want to become as efficient as possible with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And the more things you have, you know, the more baggage in, in, in other words, the more baggage you're carrying with you, the, the less efficient you'd be, you know, obviously you want to be doing the most that you can be in order to supplement your form, you know, so outside of kicking, you want to be, you want to be stretching, you want to work on plyometrics and, and all, all those details because that supplements your form. But in terms of your form, you know, there's really a very simple and easy way to do it. Um, you know, so this, this, this more you simplify it, the more efficient you become. It's, it's, it's really simple. And, and at the end of it, you, you just want it to be as simple as a golf swing that's as simple as it should be people overcomplicate this this thing you know with massive back swings and terrible angles of approach and just nonsensical things um and, and i wish i could just grab people and say hey listen <laughs> there's a way easier way to do this uh right you know you yeah so so yeah I, it's 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 hard to summarize but but yeah you're right uh the more you subtract things or the more you simplify things, the more efficient you, you, you become. And the more efficient you become, the better you kick mm -hmm. and punt. Do you find that some of the discussions and, you know, so for example, like we, we all know what a bad swing looks like, but we don't know what yeah. a, a good swing looks like because the, the definitions are so different. You know, I, yeah. I would say anything that makes a ball go high, far and straight probably had some decent form behind it but sure. a lot of the debates in the kicking punting and, and long snapping world 
it's hard to tell if people are actually debating real differences in the basic fundamentals or if they're just getting caught up on the terminology that they use to describe those basics. So what I mean is I have connected with, you know, you might have, for example, two NFL kickers who look the exact same on film the moment they hit the ball, but the way that they think about their swings and the terminology that they use are completely opposite. And then on the flip side, you could have two guys look totally opposite on film, but they use the exact same terminology to talk about their swing. Do you find like that, that it are, are people debating actually the fundamentals or are they just debating semantics? That's a tough question to answer. Um, man, I think it's a bit of both. I think there are people that agree on different levels about right. about form and the fundamentals of it. And then I think, um, you know, I, I haven't been in the industry for long enough, but I've, I've seen in recent years just, you know, coaches pop up out of nowhere. And I think what they're trying to do is they – they see a little bit here and take a little bit there and they put this whole weird thing because form is a puzzle and you, you it's simply impossible to take pieces of that puzzle from one pile and, and, and another piece from another puzzle and, and put those things together. It just doesn't fit. Um, everything is interconnected and everything translates into everything, you know? So it's, I think it's a, a bit of a combination between both. Uh, if you look at NFL kickers across the board, you know, there are some guys that are extremely athletic and that, that just, kick the ball for the sake of kicking it and for the most part that works for them but if you reverse engineer what they're doing and you break that down it's not particularly something that you're going to be coaching anybody so you know right um you know but then you get you get guys that are you know i'll I'll take jason myers for example i think he's he's got really good form um that's something you can break down and say okay why is this working it's working because he's doing this and he's doing this and he's doing that um so yeah it's it's the kicking industry is in a, in a tough space um, in terms of where this debate is going, but I have solutions. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. Let's hear them. How would you, well, so, better question. How yeah. would you, how would you fix, what's the number one problem with the kicking industry and then how would you fix it? Well, I think the number one problem is that there is no, there's no universal law above everybody, you know, the mm-hmm. above opinions. And, uh, and, 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 you know, if I, if I propose this law, it might, it might just come across that it's my opinion, but I found things that, uh, you know, through my research and, and, you know, I've, I've just, you, you'll understand what, once we get to the end of it, I, I want to talk about four things. Okay. Yeah, sure. Hit um, us up. In, in my definition of what form is, um, first let's look at the basic definition of form. Okay. So it could be the visible shape or the configuration of something. It could be a particular way in which a thing exists or appears. Um, and it could also be bringing together different parts of, of things to combine or create something, you know, so, but in the case of kicking or, you know, any precision sport, even golf, um, it's really the combination of all three of these definitions um, and more, but that just only describes it. Um, what is that? Where is that ceiling? What are we aspiring to? Because, different people can have different definitions of those definitions. Um, right. You know, so I think it, it's important to also note that form will affect directly the function of, of anything. So for example, a bow, 
a bow that's built badly won't shoot an arrow, um, you know, as accurately or, or as far, you know, so that, that's, that's what form is. Form is, is allowing that function to happen efficiently. Um, so form, so, form precedes function. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So, so just to start grasping the, the full picture, we, we need to understand some other concepts that tie in with basically just about any precision sport, you know, and, and golf has this down. They, they understand this. They're, they're kind of ahead of us. Um, so things like tempo, you know, tempo is easy. Everybody knows what that is. It's the, the rate of speed of a motion or a movement, you know, but in kicking, it can be broken down into different segments or it needs to be broken down into different segments because you're, you're unlike golf, you're not, you're not stationary when you're swinging your leg, you're, you're generating this momentum going forward, you know, so tempo and timing, you know, timing, which is just, you know, the particular point and period in, of time when something happens that can also be broken down into different different segments and so should your posture you know you're not going to you're not going to hold the same posture throughout the the entire process of, of the kick you know so that's also being broken down into into different segments but all of these tools so to speak these these things we just discussed are you know they connected and throughout any progression it's subject to constant change throughout the progression and and it's always relative to one another um, and we're really just using these tools to achieve efficiency, which is in the most simple terms, uh, it's the ratio of useful work performed in relation to the total energy expended. Mm -hmm. I got that right. <laughs> so I was worried yeah, about yeah. that one. <laughs> in other words, um, in, in the form of, of kicking and punting, you're using these tools to generate the most amount of energy throughout the progression while at the same time, conserving the most amount of energy throughout the progression and then ultimately transferring the most of that conserved energy into the ball. Do you agree with what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. So if you can hold that concept in your mind, we're going to move on to another concept because it all kind of ties together at the end. Sure. Um, so we, we, we talk about geometric forms, which are these, you know, we all know it. It's these mathematically precise forms, you know, measurable in two dimensions. They also evolve in three dimensions. So, for example, a circle becomes a sphere, triangle becomes a pyramid, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, then these geometric forms are found in architecture, you know, in, in engineering. Um, you know, for example, building a bridge, we know triangles make the bridge stronger. Uh, mm -hmm. We've learned that. We also find them in the spheres of planets, in cyclones, tornadoes, bubbles, um, atoms, in, you know, in the crystalline pattern of snowflakes in, in, and in the formation sequence of flowers or, or seashells, uh, for mm -hmm. example. And this is where it gets interesting. So what I found is nature has this way, and, and you can see it in most things, not all things, but, but most things. And if you look closely, you'll find that there's there's this definite law in nature when it comes to the distribution of energy. There's this sort of guideline nature aspires to, and it doesn't always accomplish it due to external factors at play, but you can definitely see the pattern in most things. So let's take a flower, for example. It starts as a seed, um, but then becomes this beautifully complete flower at the end. Um, and no one really ever thinks about how that process works. Um, but if you, if you go look at it, it, it it, it follows the sequence um, uh, and, and, and that sequence is so profound. It, it, it's called, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Fibonacci. No, what is that? So Fibonacci is, uh, is really just a sequence of numbers 
which continuously approximates this thing called the golden ratio okay. as it progresses into infinity. So the sequence just progresses. Um, so what is, what's the golden um, ratio? Well, the golden ratio is this mathematical ratio that determines aesthetics and, and beauties. Um, mm -hmm. But in other words, order, flow, fluidity, smoothness, um, depending on how you choose to interpret or apply it. Okay. Um, you know, but the golden ratio serves as this aesthetically perfected ceiling to which most things in nature aspire to using the Fibonacci sequence in the attempt to achieve that ceiling. Um, you, you can do a little bit more research about it. It's, it's difficult to explain, you know, over a podcast in words, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, so a short example, if you, if you take the Fibonacci sequence, which is really just, uh, so the sequence would go one and one is two, two and one is three, three and two is five. And, and, and it's just basically, it's, it's showing you different ratios as, 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 as something progresses. If you take uh, the numbers in the sequence and you divide them by one another, as you move up the progression of the sequence, um, each answer would give you a, an answer closer to the golden ratio. So it also oscillates. If, if the golden ratio is a straight line, Fibonacci oscillates uh, up okay. and down. So, so one answer would be above it, one answer would be below it. And you would progress into infinity, never quite getting to the golden ratio. The golden ratio, by the way, is, is the numbers 1.618. 1. Um, so, so to, to try and sort of understand this concept of how Fibonacci really works um, as it aspires to the golden ratio, take the seed. It's, it's, it's a very basic and simple um, thing, you know, the seed of the flower at the very start of the sequence. But the flower is a very complex thing at the end of the product, but it all comes from the seed, the very beginning, which is the baseline. It comes from one thing and then divides. And as it divides, it follows the sequence and the sequence is aspiring to get to the golden ratio. Um, what's even more profound is if you, if you look at the flower as it grows its petals um, on the bud, it, you would think that it grows in a 360. It just grows petal after petal after petal in, in, in 360, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. it, it grows a petal, then it would rotate around the bud 137.5 degrees and grow another another petal. And this 137.5 degrees is called the golden angle. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so in short, you know, achieving something in golden ratios or golden angles, uh, depending if you understand and implement it correctly, it would be following the most fluid, efficient, natural order of things throughout a, a progression of any kind. So, um, any I other way? I'm sorry. Okay. So if I understand you correctly, there's people listening, you're saying that there is a, a certain order of operations in which kicking, punting, snapping, and all things in nature follow. Yeah. Well, okay. all natural, yeah, all natural things. I mean, right. you look at spiral galaxies, if you measure the angles of those spirals, it's all golden angles. Why right. is it like that? We, we're not sure. You know, some people call this the, the mathematics of God. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a basic guideline that nature just follows. It's just this right. order of things. I'm not really sure why. And your accent is making all this even cooler for the American. <laughs> so, okay. So the mathematics of God and kicking. Now we're going. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, um, in other words, you know, so, so you can kind of see the connection here, right? Right. Um, if it's good enough for nature and it's good enough for spiral galaxies and, you know, from the biggest things to the smallest things, from the simplest things to the most complex things, you find these angles and these sequences and these ratios in, in all these things. So um, 
you know, once you understand how the sequence works, how the ratios work and how the angles apply to kicking, I mean, once you pick up your piece, the piece of your blown mind from the floor, you know, an entire <laughs> universe opens up for you. Um, you know, I've, I've literally picked up pieces of my blown mind from the floor as I've, as I've, as I've discovered these things. Um, mm -hmm. And it really, it honestly, it comes from watching too many conspiracy documentaries. <laughs> gotcha. You know, um, but you, uh, I what saw, you're saying is there, there's an overall architecture of just how things should naturally progress. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Any other way, um, you know, any other way would be in a, in a way relying on compensations throughout the progression as it would just go against the grain of the pathway that this natural order provides us through this Fibonacci sequence, trying to or aspiring to get to the golden ratio. A good example somebody gave me the other day is why when you look at say Angelina Jolie's face, why, did, why does your brain tell you she's beautiful? why mm -hmm. what makes her beautiful it's your brain's recognition in the aesthetics of of the structure of her face i mean to break it down like that is pretty i guess inhumane but but right. it, it's a pretty good example you know you you don't know why why does why why does your brain recognize this this woman is a, a beautiful you know mm -hmm. beautiful person um, gotcha. you know, so, so if you, if you understand the golden ratio and, and, and these sequences and, and, and things, then you, you start understanding, okay, well, it, she must be closer to this than, than other people. Um, so then how do you, so we've got that there's the, you know, there's like form, form, uh, dictates function, right. And then function is governed by these you know universal laws of progression and like an order of operations what does yep. that then look like for so then how do you apply those when you're coaching so you said you had four keys we've talked about two of them what's the third and fourth okay i think uh hold on um okay so okay let me give you an example i i think that'll be easier for, sure. for people to also understand okay so let's say for argument's sake your approach angle to the ball in relation to your target is 120 degrees. If you mm -hmm. execute your, your plant foot position to be in relation to the ball and the target, um, also 120 degrees, your hip angle on contact, that little window that you close to the ball, on contact, if you, if you measure that angle, it should also be 120 degrees, given that you execute your, your, your plant foot position. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, therefore, if your hip angle is at 120 degrees and you're, you're swinging in the right direction, your swing line, if you, and, and you'd have to look at this, the same kick from, you know, three different perspectives to, to see all of this, but you'd see that the transfer angle of your swing line would also be 120 degrees. So you can, you can kind of see that it's, it's all interconnected. So what I'm trying to say is, for mm. example, if you're approaching the ball at 120 degrees, for argument's sake, and your plant foot is short, then you are unable to transfer that 120 degree angle into your swing line. So you're, you're technically then using two different angles when you're kicking the ball. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Yep. So, but you, you know, you'll have to look at the kick from, from different viewpoints to see these details, you know, but if you execute it accurately, that's, that's what you would find. And in that you would find it to be the most efficient and fluid way that you could move given the measurements of your baseline, which in this case would be that approach angle. So you want, if your approach angle is your baseline, you want that baseline to transfer into almost everything else you're doing. 
Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So <laughs> it's know, almost so. like, it's like the law of conservation of mass, right? Like in like chemistry, sure. nothing's ever lost. Like, so if you start from that angle, you generally want to finish at that angle or make contact using that same angle. Is that similar to what you're referring to? Well, you know, I didn't even have science in high school. So <laughs> probably, I'm probably saying that. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so with, with proform, um, I've, I have found, I think what, what Mike and Jim have done with proform over the years is, is so profound because they never considered these things when, when they've, when they've developed proform, they just, they just followed what I guess their instinct instincts would, would say would be the best way to kick and, and they continuously develop this form. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I came along and watched ancient aliens too many times and, and I found, I found, uh, these significant, uh, you know, connections between the golden ratio and Fibonacci and proform kicking. It's, it's, it's so profound. It's, 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 it truly is unbelievable. Um, right. you know, so, so without giving too much away, it is a slight trade secret until we can agree on this universal law of kicking. Um, but you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's super profound. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there's, you know, like to, to what you're referring to, you know, there's a, I think that those debates, I think that those debates between, you know, what, what is a, what's the, what's the standard, what should a great cricket swing or baseball swing look like? What should a great serve in tennis look like? And I think there's a constant dialogue that always goes on between, you know, what are fundamental standards versus what works best for everybody's personal style. I just, but I think to your point, kicking, you know, the, the debates and, and the swings in that dialogue are, you know, a lot wilder than maybe something yeah. like golf, which has a lot more, you know, I'll, 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 I guess their, their standards are a little bit more built out. Now, do you, yeah. uh, does that kind of, do you see that as being true? Like the debates and kicking typically swing a little bit wider than other sports? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's because, because you, you can do it in different ways. Um, you have so many more, you have so many more levers and, and, and segments in your body. It's, it's possible to, to manipulate your body in, in certain ways to still kick the ball. I, I find that in rugby as well, um, especially in rugby. It's so infuriating because you're kicking a soft rubber ball off a tee you know, you can kick the ball 50, 55 yards with very, very substandard or, you know, very poor technique, very poor form. Um, you know, so in, in, in the rugby industry, nobody cares about form. And oh, that's, that's really annoying because that, that's, I'm so passionate about it. Um, mm-hmm. And people ask, I mean, why? If, if, if you can still kick the ball 50 meters uh, with poor form, then, then why, why go through the effort to learn, you know, the proper form? well, do you want to kick the ball 70 meters? Because that's what proper form can do for you, you know? Right. Um, so you're right. It's, it's the, the debate is really wide simply because it's possible to do it in so many different ways. Sure. But somehow it feels to me as if everything else is kind of funneling towards, you know, they, they, it's as if all these different ways are trying to become this one thing. And mm-hmm. maybe you can look at it as though like, all these different techniques is Fibonacci. It's, it's actually Fibonacci in working. Mm. And, and as, as we will progress through time, things will you know, come together at the end and there will be some 
universal oneness of kicking. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would love that because right now the kicking world is like Tiger Kings on Netflix. Have you seen that? Yeah, well, I heard somebody told me to watch it. Uh, I haven't oh, seen it. South yet. Africans must be like shaking their heads because you guys actually have real tigers. Well, we're not we're not known for tigers. We're we're known for lions. Um, but yeah, gotcha. same thing, just stripes. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha. So, but I think, yeah. but yeah, you're right. Like there is, uh, you know, it, it is. It's funny, but like some of the most prolific kickers in the NFL, they're. So, for example, Mark Mosley is coming on to the podcast in a, in a week or a couple of days. I mean, he was a straight-on kicker. He used his toe. He wore a square toe kicking yeah. shoe. And he's one of the yeah. best kickers of all time. His numbers are good enough to be in the Hall of Fame or at least have consideration. Steven Goskowski yeah. looks like nobody else in the entire, you know, kicking universe. And, yeah. you know, his angle is really, really narrow. But he scored 1,700 points. So, can yeah. you argue with that? So I do like, yeah. I do like your, your point that, you know, you've got all these different forms all kind of going in one direction. Hopefully we're all <laughs> working toward a better standard of kicking. Um, I wanted to get your take on your experience when you have trained up. I know you've had a little bit of experience with the CFL. Could you talk yeah. a little bit about, you know, one, what are the differences between I guess what was what was that experience like when you worked out with the CFL, um, and then what differences did you notice the CFL game demanded from the versus in the NFL game? Yeah, I mean it is it is definitely different. Um, I think up in Canada, it's it's a little slower paced, but it's still it's still a fast moving moving industry. Um, <clears throat> I think it it gave me gave me the kind of feel that um kickers are not i wouldn't say higher regarded higher or of more importance but your your role as a kicker is is it's i guess because how would how do i put this you would have to kick and punt it's very it's going to be very a very rare occasion that a team signs a guy that only kicks field goals so they they're really right. looking for specific types of types of guys you know guys that i think mainly guys that punt who also kick um but you know you've seen you've seen kickers that also punt you know so what's the difference but um yeah so you know they are very very specific in my experience they're very specific about punting um which i didn't expect i i i came in you know, really zoned in on field goals and they had me basically punt all day. Um, I did, I did like, you know, a couple of sets of field goals and for the most part, I was just punting all over the place, uh, you know, across the field to that corner, this side, drop it in this area, you know, so that, that was an eye opener. And in terms of their regulations of how you should be punting and how fast your, your get off time needs to be, that's, that's as if it's a, like almost like a little bit of a step up from from what I experienced in the USA with the with the NFL um, and what they're kind of looking for. Gotcha. And you know, in the CFL game, you have a much wider field. Now, correct me if yeah. I'm wrong, but is isn't it a penalty if you punt the ball out of bounds? I believe so. I, I could gotcha. be wrong, but I believe so. And and I think the rules change like every five minutes. So who, who knows? <laughs> who knows by the by this time? But yeah, I I remembered you know when when I was at the BC Lions doing this, doing this tryout, they wanted me to basically drop the ball onto a hairpin, um, you mm -hmm. know, so 
trajectory and where you're placing the ball is super important. Where I, I know it's important in, in the NFL, but it feels like in the NFL, it's, it's more about like you know, hang time and distance. You know, if you can get the ball far downfield um, with enough hang time on it, it, you know, placement varies. But uh, in the CFL, they were like, placement is everything. Um, right. Because they plan, they, I guess they punt so much, they plan their next play from where you're going to be punting. And they kind of expect it to be somewhere right. um, specific, you know. So I guess the defense, the, the defensive side on that punt return is is very specific. Right. Well, like, let's go back to your rule. Form dictates function, right? So if you have a much wider field, you're going to have more emphasis placed on that uh, directional game for sure. And plus in the CFL, you only got three downs. So in the NFL, you yeah. might punt four or five times a game. CFL, you might punt 10 times a game. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Now you, you, and you're definitely going to be punting more than what you be, you, you're you going to be kicking field goals, you know. So I kind of only later really understood this. Like, okay, right. this makes more sense. I mean, and also with the CFL, you can kick field goals of a, of a one-inch tee. So it's much better for a, a really good punter who can kick field goals of a one-inch tee to go try out there instead of a, a field goal kicker who's really zoned in on field goals and can also punt. I, I would say your chances are better if you're, if you're a really good punter that can kick. Right. Now, obviously, you've worked really hard. You're training really hard. You work with guys down in South Africa. What's your, what's your end goal in the, next, in the coming, you know, three to five years? Man. <laughs> Yeah, my wife also asked me that. Um, I think everyone, <laughs> Don't tell her to listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Um, obviously, I want to. I want to reach. Uh, you know, the top. Uh, you know, I guess the reason why we do this is, you know, not only. I, I think first and foremost, you got to love what you do. I love kicking. I really do. Um, you know, I, I'm so blessed to to be able to do this every day, and I, I really look after myself. I train religiously and holistically i eat well you know i know i'm getting older i'm saying that in, how old uh, are you in verbal comments. i'm 30 i just turned 30 last year so okay well i, yeah. I, I wouldn't say old <laughs> i am not old i don't feel old but i mean you know you're a fine media wine. And, yeah fine wine but you know coaches and media they, they would look at a 30 year old and go uh you know May, may, might as well get someone who's as good but just younger you know mm-hmm. but uh so so that's the point is to is to become so good that they can't find anyone that's that's as good and younger so um and then i guess yeah to play at the highest level of the sport that's that's definitely an aspiration of mine um i feel like i missed out on a lot I, I didn't go to college. I didn't play college football. I wish I found out about these things earlier. You know, and you started this process when I was 24, 25. Right. So there's a lot, there's a lot of gaps that I've tried to fill with working incredibly hard. Um, and it's, it's been a long road. I mean, I came into this with extremely poor form. I had no, I, no idea what I was doing. Um, you know, so working with Mike Hollis in, 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 it's been four years, five years of, real work we've really worked at this i've worked every single day at this so you know i don't know if i'm a slow learner maybe maybe i am but it's taken me it's taken me a lot of time to perfect some of these concepts and, and really mm-hmm. understand it and not mentally understanding it having my my body understand it and agree to it because there's a certain way that we want to kick um you know so it's not just kicking anymore it's it's executing this movement specifically gotcha. um, and the reason why the reason why I want to kick with Proform is because it, 
if you do it right, it gives you the best result. I mean, I've, I've kicked with every technique you can think of. Mm -hmm. I've been coached by many different people. There's nothing that compares to pro form. Nothing. They, honestly, it's the, it's right now the ceiling of, of, of kicking. Hope you're um, listening, Mike Hollis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, me and me and Mike, we come, we come, we come a long way. Um, yeah. You know, he's so great. yeah. Love Mike. Uh, he's, he's a really good guy. And, you know, I, I, it's, it's challenging. I, I think I understand now what, what frustration he was going through trying to coach me from, from the States, you know, via, you know, WhatsApp and Skype and stuff like that. Whereas I'm now coaching people in the States, you know, I I'd work yep. with anyone that, that wants to work with me. I love doing this. Um, you know, so, but now I see how challenging it is. Sure. But to answer that question concisely, um, you know, play the highest level of the sport or at least die trying. <laughs> well, hopefully you don't die for a long time, but yeah, I mean, that's, and I think, you know, you've, you've definitely put a ton of work in, man. It's, I mean, I'll get kids who ask me, Hey, who, do you know that rocket foot guy? Um, <laughs> like, yeah, V he's a nut, but he's awesome. Um, now, now when you, um, you know, at some point, you know, football is not forever and sure. you're going to be looking back when you're a hundred years old and you know, what's nice about what you do is not only do you train, but you also train other kids and you mentor them. And yep. what's the one thing you want people to take away from your coaching? What do you want them to remember about you? That's also it's a tough one. I often don't think about this, you know, I just do what I do. And, and later on, I think, man, maybe I shouldn't have said that <laughs> or <laughs> approach that in a different way. Um, but right. yeah, I think, I honestly, I, I try to have fun with, with people that I coach. Uh, everyone that has trained with me in, 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 in the Rocket Foot Academy in, in Pretoria, you know, we're always having, a, you know, constant friendly competitions. There's banter, you know. Um, that's the way it should be. You know, nothing, nothing should, be, should be so serious that you, don't, that you don't enjoy it. You know, I think also kids learn faster when they enjoy what they're doing. And that's right. where you mentioned the balance between being so technical that you kind of drain the joy out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then also just having to flow with it. Um, I think one of the most important things is, is catching kids as early as possible. Um, you know, between the age of 10 and 12 is like a Goldilocks zone uh, to, to teach these kids because they're like a sponge, you know, you right. don't have to unlearn anything. You don't have to break any uh, muscle memory or mechanics, you know, so that's important. But to, I guess just remember that I'm the best ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say to, to all my students out there, just, just remember who's the boss. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's funny. I mean, you know, like when you get, um, especially when you work with younger kids, I mean, you know, they're physically, they're not really mature yet they can't put a lot of power into the ball so sometimes it can be frustrating to work with them but what what you're really building when you work with a younger kid young high school or, or middle school is you're you're giving them like a mental blueprint for how they're supposed to go about their sport like if you're just yelling at a kid or if they go home to you know a parent who's like you know shames their kid if they do poorly in a sport you know, yeah. they're, they're going to get burnt out and they're not going to stick with it on the long haul. And I, I had um, kind of what you just said reminded me when I had Tiff Joe on the show. Uh, so she's a LPGA golfer in San Diego, but she said that, you know, you, whatever you do as a sport, you got to love it enough to where you, you're going to 
do a little bit every day. And so with golf, she calls it, you know, you got to love it enough to where you, you touch your clubs every day, even if it's just for like five, 10 minutes, yeah, just yeah, to work yeah. on something small. <clears throat> yeah. Also like when you get a new Duke and you tuck it in under your pillow, <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> it's the same thing, man. Um, so you sleep yeah. with your football? Uh, no, I'm not allowed. Not allowed. Okay. <laughs> my wife has banned me from bringing footballs in from the garage. So that my car is my mobile locker room. Yeah. Yeah. I have the same thing. I got, I got an old pickup. My, my coach call, uh, my, my kids call it a coach, a coach car, but, uh, <laughs> you know, so, so I understand that. But, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, um, I'd, I'd get a new rugby ball. I'm, I'm relaying this, this back to, to the, to my first love, I suppose. Um, I'd get a new rugby ball and, all I want to do is just, I just want to hold it. Uh, I want to squeeze it and, and, you know, smell the new rubber and, and, and right. go kick it. And, and then when I get home, I don't leave it. I sit and watch TV with it. I'll go to bed with it. I'll wake <laughs> up with it. I'll keep it again in the morning, you know? Yeah. So you should never lose that. I mean, obviously when you get older, you get more mature, you kind of, you know, you get, get over those sorts of things, but you should still have that childlike sense of wonder for the things that you're doing. Um, you know, I think, I think that that's one of the most important factors in, in succeeding at anything is, you know, just believing in it and loving it as, as, as it is, you know, uh, for what it is as well. And for what you are, we're getting a little metaf metaphorical here, but yeah. <laughs> uh, that we've been metaphorical for about an hour now, but, but like, I think it's, <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, you're right, man. I mean, when you coach a kid you're really not like football is just like the analogy, the tool you use, yeah. but you're, you're really helping people become better versions of themselves. Like when you Absolutely. honestly help, when you help a kid, you know, hit a higher, farther, straighter ball. Yeah. You are, you know, I think the trajectory of your ball is a trajectory of your life. And that's like, I use that anyway. That's kind of like my fluffy allegorical way of looking at kicking, but um, that's beautiful. <laughs> you can you can take that quote if you want man i'm definitely stealing that i'm definitely stealing that. <laughs> from rocket foot um well awesome man well, i appreciate you taking the time to connect and um so guys if you want to get in touch with vihan just send him a dm at rocket foot and he will be sure to get back to you hey thanks man it's it's been a pleasure um yeah thanks for having me on and good luck with this whole corona thing man i hope uh, you know everyone can get out kicking again at some point definitely um, so yeah. Cool, man. I want now a word from our sponsor, Wizard Sports. For high-quality athletic practice equipment, you just can't beat Wizard Sports equipment. The products they offer are designed with the highest standards. With input from pro athletes and equipment managers, Wizard Sports continues to offer the best in the game and practice sports equipment. They've been in business since 1984 for a reason. We have a great customer following, and if a problem or question comes up, we're always there to help. Be sure to check out Wizard Sports today at wizardsports.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Kickers Are People 2 podcast. If you like this episode, or even better, if you didn't like it, please drop us a review on iTunes so we can get better for everybody else. This is important because we're going to start to give away some free, cool prizes in the coming weeks, episodes, and seasons. Thank you.